Well, I got a question for you. Have you ever run out of gas? A lot of you have. Come on, show me, show me how many. A lot of you have run out of gas. All right, here's what I want you to do. If you've run out of gas, I want you to tell the people around you your story. So it could be a person you came with. It could be you turn around and, and talk to somebody you don't know and say, hey, you want to hear my story? Maybe there'll be a few gathered around you, but try to find somebody you can hear their story or you tell their story about how you ran out of gas. You got one minute. All right, I, I, I see, I hear some laughter and I see some, some grinning faces out there. I want to know how many of you have never run out of gas? What is it, you don't drive? What is this, you know? Larry, I can't believe you never run out of gas. All right, I got to tell you, I've run out of gas more than once. And the first time was when I was in high school on a date. It was, it was coming, I was taking my date home uh, after the homecoming dance. I was 16 years old, she lived on a farm, and we ran out of gas about a half a mile from her house. Yeah, people are going, oh yeah, right. <laughs> and so, uh, so you know, about the time we were thinking, okay, I guess we'll, we'll walk to the, her house, her parents come driving up and, and see us and stop and, of course, pick us up, take us back to the house. Her dad gets a, you know, he's a farmer. He's got a big, you know, nice can, uh, fills it with gas. He's got gas there on the farm and then uh, takes it back and puts it in my car. And so, you know, and uh, it sends me home. <laughs> I got to tell you, I was, so, I was so embarrassed. I never asked her out again. But uh, in the email I sent on Friday, and by the way, if you're not on our email list, you know, let us know. We'll, we'll put you on so you can kind of be up on what's going on. But uh, I set up this scenario. Some of you remember. Imagine yourself driving along and your car chugs. And you look down at your gas gauge and the needle is below E. Or that yellow light is just flashing like crazy at you. Fortunately, you're able to coast into a gas station. What a blessing! Problem is, it's too late. It's already closed. So there you are, parked a few, beat, a few feet above, thousands of gallons of gas, and you can't get any of it. You have no way to pump it out of that tank and into your tank. 
And you know, I think a lot of times it's the same with grace. You can never exhaust grace, right? Uh, Grace abounds, the Bible says. Grace is abundant. But we do not experience all of the grace available to us. Why is that? And how can we experience a steady flow of grace into our lives? That's what we're going to explore today. Now, first, I want to revisit the definition of grace that we looked at last Sunday. It is this. Grace is being treated according to what I need, not what I deserve. Let's say that together, shall we? Grace is being treated according to what I need, not what I deserve. When my homecoming date's mom and dad found me with their daughter run out of gas, I couldn't have blamed them if they'd have been very suspicious. I couldn't have blamed them. I mean, I deserve to be chewed out, at least for being so careless. But they were so gracious. They were so kind. They, they, They were so willing to overlook my mistake. They gave me the gas that I needed to to get home. I was treated according to what I needed, not what I deserved. And we have a theme verse for this series. A lot of you know you're starting to to get it locked into your brain, aren't you? Romans 6, 23, here it is. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Last Sunday we sang it, remember? Some of you are here. We're going to sing it again. Yeah, we're gonna, I'm gonna, I've got a little different format for it, so you just kind of remember that you sing the words in yellow, all right? You ready? All right, here we go. For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God in Christ Jesus our Lord again. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, now we're going to do it again, but, but uh, I need you to do a little more participation, a little percussion, all right? So you can snap, clap, or tap uh, to, to do something. You know, get your boogie going on there, you know? Um, so anyway, try to find a way to do a little percussion of some type, and, um, and we'll sing it uh, a little bit more. All right. For the wages of sin is death. For the wages. But the gift of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. One more time. For the wages of sin is death. For the wages. But the gift of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Very good. Uh, I gotta say, some of you could use some percussion lessons. I just want to point that out here. But anyway, now I, I I shared that to you the song because I really want you to know it. I want you to have this down, just like John three sixteen. Man, you can spit it out. This is one of the great promises of the Bible. One of the great gospel verses of the Bible. The last few Sundays we explored. Um, the three stages of grace in our lives. Uh, First, we started with prevenient grace. The word prevenient is an old English word, means preceding. Uh, And uh, so this is the grace that God comes to us even before we put our faith in Jesus. 
And then there's justifying grace. That's the grace when we put our faith in Jesus. And God takes us sinners and he moves us into the righteous category. We don't deserve that, but he does. And then we experience a lifetime of sanctifying grace uh, where God is continually transforming us. And through the Holy Spirit, uh, he, he makes it so that love becomes the dominant force in our lives. And so there's not much room for sin because love is so prominent. Now, without prevenient grace, I mean, I wouldn't even recognize my sin. I wouldn't see my need for God. Without justifying grace, I would stand condemned as a sinner and an enemy of God. Without sanctifying grace, I'd be hopelessly enslaved to my, my sinful desires, unable to love anybody except myself, and I'd even mess that up. Everything in me that is good is because of grace. Everything in me that is good is because of grace. It comes from God. Our role is to be receivers of that grace. And we do that by attending to the means of grace. Uh, we'll put up the next slide there. There we go. The means of grace. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's like when you go to the gas station. Uh, you can't just sit there and wait for the gas to come up by osmosis. You know, fumes aren't going to fill your, fuel, your tank. You have to use the pump. And that's what these means of grace are. They're like God's pump. God's normal way of pouring grace into our lives. Uh, now, here's a verse for you, 2 Peter 3.18. And I'm going to invite you to say the words in yellow in this verse. Grow in the of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, that's kind of the life of a Christian right there, isn't it? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we grow in grace by attending to the means of grace. Now, first of all, before we kind of get into the means of grace and what they are, I want to I uh, make it clear that, that grace and the means of grace start and end with Jesus. He is our main means of grace. He's our way, our truth, our life. That means that the means of grace that we practice are only good if they take us to Him, if they bring us close to Him. And when we attend the means of grace, we grow in grace. Our faith is strengthened. We grow in holiness. We experience more of God. We become more like Jesus. And so right now, you're, you're there thinking. You say, well, okay, Steve, come on, tell me. Well, what, what are these means of grace? How can my faith be strengthened? How can uh, I become, uh, grow in holiness? And how can I experience more of God? And how can I become more like Jesus? And I will say, okay, okay. Back off. I'll tell you. The means of grace, uh, there are actually two categories we're going to look at. There are two groups. The first is works of piety and then works of mercy. What is piety? That's kind of a funny word. Piety simply means spiritual devotion, okay? Spiritual devotion. Works of piety are ways that we invest in our relationship with Jesus. Works of mercy are ways that we respond like Jesus to people in need. So 
I, I've taken a, a list adapted, and I've adapted it from a United Methodist website. It's based on what John Wesley uh, said about the means of grace. So here are works of piety. Now, some of these you can do by yourself, some of them you do with other people, and some can go either way or both. Regularly attending worship, sharing the sacraments, reading and meditating and studying the scriptures, prayer, fasting, healthy living, sharing our faith with others, being accountable to one another. You know, sometimes I hear people say, well, why do you have to go to church to be close to God? And I say, well, it's like this. If you avoid worship and the sacraments, you cut yourself off from one of the big ways that God wants to pour grace into your life. I knew a guy years ago who said he was just really into reading the Bible, just really eating it up and reading, and I was really glad that he was. And then he said, he said, but I'm really not doing any praying. And of course, I've heard people say the opposite too. So yeah, I pray every day, but I don't read the Bible. And I say, it's, scripture without prayer or prayer without scripture is like trying to have a one-way conversation. I mean, that's no way to build a relationship. You need both. And, uh, you know, how you do these works of piety, uh, they may be different from one person to another. Uh, for example, Trish and I, we don't really do our prayer time exactly the same way. I'm more likely to spend a longer time sitting quietly praying. She's likely to spend a shorter time sitting quietly praying, but then she's more likely to continue that prayer while she's moving about the house. And one's not really better than the other. It probably has a lot to do with our personalities. I'm a little more introverted. She's more extroverted. Uh, you know, I think fasting is an important means of grace, and I think a lot of us kind of feel creeped out by it, you know, scared of fasting and what that would be. In Mark chapter 8 that Larry read for us a little bit ago, uh, Jesus said that in order to be his disciples, we must be ready to deny ourselves. And I think in order to be ready to deny ourselves, we have to practice it. And that's a big part of what fasting does. Uh, accountability is another powerful means of grace. Uh, in my faith walk group that I'm in, um, at our first meeting of the month, we shared with each other some things that we wanted to be accountable for. So um, I told them that what I wanted to do during this month, the month of January, was to read all 150 psalms out loud. Um, so this coming Friday, uh, we're going to take a little time to go back and talk about the things we said we were accountable for. And I'm going to share with them how it went. But I do know this. I'm, I'm better when I'm accountable. It's a means of grace in my life. When John Wesley led the early Methodist movement, he organized people into class meetings. And you know what they did at those class meetings? They did not study John Wesley's sermons. They did not discuss a lesson. They reported to each other how they did the previous week in attending to the means of grace. So, those are the works of piety. They're ways that we invest in our relationship with the Lord. And then there are works of mercy. 
And again, some of these you do by yourself, some of you do it with other people, some of them can go either way. Uh, doing good works, visiting the sick, visiting those in prison, feeding the hungry, giving generously to the needs of others, seeking justice, ending oppression and discrimination. For instance, you know, uh, John Wesley, he urged the Methodists in his day to, to work to end slavery and then addressing the needs of the poor. Now, as you might be able to tell, this list is drawn largely from Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these sisters and brothers of mine, when you do it for them, he says, you're doing it for me. So by doing these things, we're doing them for the Lord. We're, we're drawing close to Christ. Now, I invite you, if you want, to copy down these lists. Maybe some of you want to take a picture of it. For those of you who are in a group, I've all, I emailed them early this morning to your group leader. So they have them, and you can talk about them in your group. Sometimes I found that works of piety can go hand in hand with works of mercy. For example, one of the other benefits of fasting is that it intensifies your prayers. So when you give up food, um, you give up meals or certain foods as a part of your fasting, the money that you saved because of not eating that food, you could use to spend maybe to make a donation to our pantry. Or maybe you want to use it to, to make a meal for our meal train, which we could do for somebody who's had surgery or just had a baby. Now, talking about the means of grace, I feel like I want to take a giant roll of caution tape and string it up all around this entire room because it's so easy to fall into the trap that I do all of these things to try to get God's approval to try to get God to love me. We think, okay, all right, this is what I got to do. I got to do all these things so God will, will, will have favor on me and I've got to earn my spot in heaven. I got to go to church and read the Bible and visit the sick and feed the hungry. And of course, those are all good things to do, but it's not about earning God's love. It's not about seeking God's approval or earning a spot in heaven. Those are all gifts of grace. What we're looking at here is how, how do we find that grace? How do we live in that grace? We go to the means of grace. And by the way, I wouldn't be surprised if you have, you find if you look at these two lists, you have a preference for one or the other. I would guess most of us probably feel like we're more drawn to one of them than the other. But what I have found is that they need, there needs to be a balance between them. If we only focus on works of piety, then it's going to be, we're going to become self-focused. It's all about me and about my growth and what's, what I'm, I, I'm getting out of it. If we're focused only on the works of mercy, then we were, we're all giving and no receiving, and we're pretty soon we're going to burn out. By the works of piety, God nourishes us for the works of mercy. Now, John Wesley was a lot of things. Um, he was a, a revival preacher. Uh, you know, thousands of people would show up to hear him speak. And God used him powerfully to, to bring a lot of people to Christ, to awaken them uh, to the Lord. But he also knew the limits of preaching. He said, 
It didn't matter if he preached like an apostle. If that's all people got, then their faith would eventually shrivel. And he, he commented about one particular community called Pembrokeshire, where years earlier, uh, many people had experienced a spiritual awakening. But the people there in Pembrokeshire wouldn't join the Methodist societies or class meetings. And here's what Wesley said, wrote in his journal. He said, how much preaching has been there for these 20 years uh, all over Pembrokeshire? But no regular societies, no discipline. And the consequence is that nine in ten of the once awakened are now faster asleep than ever. Churches are full of the formerly awakened who have fallen asleep. And it's because they are not attending to the means of grace. I would, I would suggest that for a lot of you, the step after being in worship, the next step would be go get in a group. A group is where you can practice all of the one another's of the Bible. Um, encourage one another, pray for one another, build up one another, serve one another, accept one another, instruct one another, submit to one another, confess to one another, love one another. So many of the means of grace can happen in a group. I think there comes a point in every pastor's life when you realize that your preaching alone is not going to make people into disciples. I mean, I would like to live in that delusion that my preaching is all you need to really grow and become a full, deep, daring, daily disciple. But I have found over and over through the years that once people get in a group, it becomes, the most, it becomes very powerful in their lives. People say, Steve, I, really, I, I still like your messages, but it's the group where I'm really growing. And I say, praise the Lord. One of the guys in my group is uh, Darren Timberlake. And over the last few months, some of you may know, but uh, Darren has been the interim director of our Impact Ministry, which is an after Faith Westwood's after-school uh, ministry for middle school students. And uh, they planned a lock-in back in November. And uh, Darren asked our group, if we would like to come and serve breakfast on the Saturday morning uh, at the end of their lock-in. And we said, sure. So we learned that uh, Dick Rasfeld's specialty was making French toast, so we just jumped on that. And uh, so a few of us showed up at the church at 6.30 on that Saturday and cooked up French toast and sausage. And it was a blessing not only for the kids, but also for us. It was a means of grace. We bonded together. We got to serve the Lord in a hands-on, practical way. God's grace flowed to us and through us. Okay, now I want to invite uh, Holly, Holly Timberlake to come on up. Holly is our uh, Director of Adult and fam Family Discipleship and also Matt and Kristen Post. If you would also come up and share it down for a little bit. 
Hello. Oh, I keep doing that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hi. Um, if you don't know much about me, I love small groups. And today we're going to um, talk to Matt and Kristen a little bit about a group that they're starting. The first question I have for you, Matt, is um, why are small groups important to you? Sharing your thoughts with a few people is easier than sharing your thoughts with the whole congregation. <laughs> I found it to be a good and positive experience to get together with people that have a similar desire to grow in their relationship with Jesus and support each other and pray for each other. And I found uh, it helps me build a connection with the church and build relationships and ultimately friendships with these people. It's just been a really enjoyable experience. Awesome. And um, Kristen, how have you seen God work through you in being in a small group? Um, I would say there's, there's a couple different ways. The first one would probably be, honestly, um, just giving me more confidence or more courage to be more open and sharing about my faith. Um, you know, before that, I think I was the one I didn't want to pray out loud. I wanted to, you know, the sufferings and the blessings I kind of wanted to keep to myself. And going to a small group for so long, it, it helps open you up and helps you want to um, be a part of other people's lives, but also let them into your own. Um, and from there, expanding outside of the group and feeling more able and more willing to um, open up and, and talk to others that you don't know, coworkers, people that you meet. Um, and so I think it's just kind of, it's given me maybe more of those um, skills or more of that confidence that I needed. Um, the other thing would be, I started coming to Faith Westwood probably 2009, 2010. And uh, this was before I knew Matt. And I, I was new to Omaha. And I would come to church and I would come right at the time that it started and sit somewhere in the back. And I would get up and walk out and go out the side door. Um, and I never really talked to anyone. Um, I'd probably been here a few years and someone asked, oh, are you new here? I'm like, well, not really, but no one ever ever noticed because um, I, I snuck in and out. Um, and once I got involved in a group, I realized I want to be here. There's so many more things that um, I like to be a part of, I want to be a part of. Um, once I met Matt, we got married, he started coming to small group with me and, you know, I'll, renovation celebration or trunk or treat or all those things that we do um, before I would have just skipped out and now I want to go I want to see the people that we're friends with the people that we know um, and it helps make the church feel more like a family more like a, a community for us awesome and I know that the two of you feel called to start a new group so could you tell us a little bit about that yeah um, I actually the, when when we started going to small group it was with a, a great group of people um, kind of in the same walk of life. Um, but that was back at the time when Water's Edge was still a part of Faith Westwood. So when they kind of broke off and became their own church, we were the only two left at Faith Westwood from the group. And so we actually kept going for several years, um, and we love all of those people, but one day we said, we really feel more called to try to be better, more active members of Faith Westwood. And so um, we still see them, we still talk to them, but. Um, we just feel called to start a group here. Um, and we know that there's some great groups that are already going, but um, we thought, what could it hurt? We'll just open up the opportunity and see if there are more people um, who'd want to participate. So uh, actually next Sunday, we are having pizza upstairs um, in the conference room at noon for anyone that's interested. 
Um, someone had asked us after the first service, is that the time that you're meeting? And uh, no, it's not. It's just the time that we thought we would gather and kind of see who's interested, what nights, what times, what days work for everyone. Um, so if you're, if you're a little bit interested, I would just encourage you to kind of step out, um, step out in faith and come. And if it turns out something that, that's not for you, it's at least free pizza. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I'd like to also extend an invitation for you to attend um, next Sunday in the conference room and check it out. It's always fun to start at the beginning of a new group. Thanks. Thank you. Matt and Kristen, I think we all want to be a part of your group now. That's great. Okay. Um, the means of grace are open to you. They're available to you. So now we're at the point of a question. What will you do? You know, my purpose here this morning is not to make you feel guilty, not to make you feel inadequate. I, my purpose is not to make you feel like, oh, pastor wants me to do more. I never do enough. My purpose is to show you where you can find grace where you can find grace. Some of you may be thinking, you know, I know other people who they, they set aside a little time every day to read the Bible and to pray, and I've never done that, but I think I want to. So I would encourage you, just find somebody that you know that maybe already does that, and just, uh, or a few people, and just kind of ask them what they do. Kind of learn about it, and then just get started. Give, give it a try. Um, or you're thinking, you know, I realize I'm not going to make any progress until I get in a group. I just know myself too, much, too well. I, I need a group of people around me to kind of make it move forward. So uh, that way I'll kind of get into the Bible and, I'll, and you know, kind of learn about praying and maybe a little accountability. We might even go and do some works of mercy together. And I know that on my own I'm probably not going to do it. All right. I would just remind you that Holly is your go-to person for our groups. Some of you may have said, you know, I've really always been curious about fasting, but I don't think I know enough about it. Well, I would, I would encourage you to Google three words, United Methodist Fasting, and then just see what you find. Just learn a little bit. Get started. Uh, maybe you feel like, you know, I've been, I've been really doing great on the, on the works of piety. I kind of get in there on a lot of those, but works of mercy, oh, mercy. <laughs> I, I'm not into those at all. And so maybe your step is to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to experiment. I'm going to try something. I'm going to find out what, what's happening at my church that I could be a part of to invest in works of mercy. So what we're going to do now is uh, I'm going to give you a minute just to be in silence and in prayer. Uh, while we're doing that, the band's going to come up and, and get ready. And after that minute, they're going to um, be ready to lead us in the, in the closing song. But I want you to think about what it is where God might be leading you. Grab a pen. Take your bulletin. Just write something down. What might be a means of grace in your life where God wants to pour his heart into yours?